The Never Before Project presents the Lethal Faith Podcast with your host, Dr. Michael B. Nye and Blake Harris. This podcast is for students, parents, and church leaders who are interested in keeping their faith strong. Visit us online at neverbefore.tv or on Facebook at The Never Before Project. Let's get into the podcast. Hello, this is Dr. Michael Knight. I want to welcome you back and with my co-host, Blake Harris. And we are going to talk today about the power of knowing the laws of retention. In other words, how do we retain our children in the faith? And Blake and I was talking before we started recording and remembering what we talked about in our last podcast about how only 5% of fathers actually have an intentional conversation about faith in Christian homes, we're not talking about people who are not Christian. We're talking about in Christian homes, 12% with mothers, 5% with fathers. And Blake was telling me a, an interesting story about him and his kid over the Labor Day weekend. Blake, won't you tell us that story? Yeah, so my son, he wanted to camp out. Uh, and so we were just in the backyard and he was looking up at the stars and he, he just has this sense of wonder and awe about God right now. And he said, he looks up at the stars and he says, did Jesus put those up there? And I say, yeah, he sure did. He said, it's because he's great, right? I said, yeah, it's because he's great. And it was just awesome to hear that from my own son, just because of simple conversations I had had with him. It's the whole reason he even understands the greatness of God and why he even put the stars in the sky. And so for me, that was like a, a major confirmation to me that I was doing some of the things right. Yeah, you know, Blake, that's extremely important because parents' role in retention is just as important as parents' roles were in attrition. In attrition, we listed five things that causes the attrition uh, of young people from the church and from their Christian faith. Today and then next week, uh, we're going to actually look at retention. What causes the retention? According to Christian Smith, it's the same five things, but in the opposite direction. And one of the things I want to say as we get started is you, you have to understand as parents, as pastors, um, as uh, students, there has to be intentionality to this. This is not just something that happens. You have to be intentional in having conversations about faith, not open-ended questions like, do you believe in God? Yes, no. Well, why do you think there's a God? You have to have intentional questions with your kids to be able to really retain faith. Now, what are the five things that retains faith? Well, one, they are the same five things that causes retention devout religious parents, a number of supportive adults, the importance of prayer and scripture reading and church attendance. And all of these are conducive, are strategic to the teenage years, less doubts and multiple religious experience. So when we talk about having devout religious parents, we're talking about those that want their kids to make it to heaven. Now all parents would say, or most parents would say, yeah, I want my kids to make it to heaven. Most Christian parents would say that. But you, you have to realize that parents socialize beliefs in their kids. And that socialization takes place intentionally. Um, it is uh, true for me, Blake, that it does really take a village to raise a child. But parents play a really important part in uh, faith retention with adolescents. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with you, you know, because... 
and when we read that statistic last week that only 5% of fathers were having intentional conversations with their children about faith, I was, I was flabbergasted. I, I mean, I would, I, I was just absolutely taken back that, that it's not happening more, you know? And, and I was just thinking to myself that, man, if we really want our kids to have our faith, the, the faith of our fathers, as the, the Bible would put it, we have to be intentional about that. You know, the Bible even talks about how one generation shall tell the deeds and praise um, God for the deeds and what he had done to another generation. And so even the Hebrews were very intentional about how they told their faith and made sure that their children understood the things that had happened so that they could begin to live out their own faith. You know, devout parents uh, build devout kids. And I just wonder if it's not time for a little bit of reflection to say, where am I out in my walk with God? What do, What is the thing that I love the most? And whatever the thing I love the most is going to be the thing that I have the most habits uh, that I do habitually. And when I, whatever I love the most and whatever I habitually do the most is actually what I really worship, no matter what I say. And so parents who are putting Christ first, I think that's really important for parents that are listening to us right now. You must have intentional conversations. Even when you're a good Christian parent and your kids go to youth group and your kids pray and your kids read the scripture, it's the intentional conversation with parents. And the other thing about the status the stats and the science is the science says it takes intentionality with highly devoted parents and it takes intentionality and um, uh, during the teenage years specifically. It's really interesting how uh, habits are formed religiously in adolescence during the teenage years. So it takes devout parents and then, you know, Blake, it takes a number of supportive adults. It takes more than just one adult to speak into the lives of your kids. You want five solid Christian adults for every one kid that you have. So if I have five people speaking into Lily or Ella's life or Aiden's life, besides myself, like you, mm -hmm. and you are modeling what it means to be a good Christian or like Erica, their youth pastor, or Mark, their youth pastor, um, then that's helping me, but it goes further than just pastors. It's actually aunts and uncles and members in the church that may not even have a title that actually exemplify the power of living a godly life in front of my kid or your kid. And they actually call that hidden curriculum. Absolutely. You know, I think this right here, because my parents were not devout Christians, but the number of supporting uh adults in my life is one of the reasons I stayed within the faith uh, because it was because of those people constantly reinforcing uh, the, the faith in my own life. That's the reason I, I believe I even stayed a Christian because when I was a teenager, uh, like I said, my parents didn't attend church, but there were people around me who constantly, you know, talked to me about the faith. They constantly talked to me about, you know, uh, make sure I'm attending church, make sure I'm reading the scriptures, praying, things like that. They were always reinforcing those things. And so for me, this is really important to me myself. Uh, and just knowing that other people would have a mentor. And I think that's uh, just a great, great uh, thing to have. So, so far what we've, what we're learning today is that 
to have a child retain their faith, whether they're 21, 25, or five, what we know that it takes, it takes highly religious, devout parents that are living their, out their faith and going to church with them and participating and working in the local church that are having intentional conversations specifically during the teenage years. What we also have learned is it also takes uh, a number of supportive non-parental adults to speak into the life of kids. Your kids have to have models. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And then we're also, uh, the third thing is that it takes prayer and faith and then church attendance because one of the things that I'm learning and I'm still learning so much about this subject and about life and you know Blake I honestly and guys and ladies listening to me I honestly feel like for the first time in my life and I'm 52 53 that I understand what worship is I really understand and what I know about this statistic about the importance of prayer, scripture reading and church attendance in an adolescent or child's life, a middle schooler's life, is that most of Christianity's effectiveness takes place on a subconscious, almost unconscious level. It's the habits of going to church every Sunday. It is the habits of going and participating in the Eucharist. It's the habits of watching a baptismal uh, take place. It's the habits of going to church and youth groups that form us and that church really is, I'll, I'll go to my deathbed on this one, 90% of just showing up and then those habits form us. Um, uh, yeah, you know, just showing up, you know, it, it really creates a social network in, in which you get ingrained to just by showing up to church. You know, as a as a teenager attending church, that was where all my friends were. And so whenever I had a crisis of faith, I remember thinking to myself, man, that's where all my friends were. That's where I felt connected. That's where I felt alive, so to speak. And so I, I wholeheartedly understand the attendance part and, and just being there and, and how it forms a social network, even in my own life. Yeah. What people don't realize, Blake, is it, that belief is socialized. You don't say, I believe Jesus is the son of God because the pastor preaches it. That does influence or because the teacher teaches it. They don't believe it because they hear it. They believe it because they see other people believe it. Belief is socialized. They see that Christianity works for them. And so when they see parents and other adults read the Bible, when they see parents and other adults pray, when they see uh, parents and other adults attend church, and then they do these things along with these adults and these other people, then belief becomes socialized. And what I love about it, it becomes personalized because at the end of the day, what we know, unless Christ is the ultimate love of your life, it doesn't matter what you know. And so they have to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So prayer and scripture reading and uh, uh, are really personal uh, journeys with a deity. It's the personal journey with Jesus Christ. And that gives us religious capital in a lot of ways. Um, the other thing that I think is interesting, and it really bears out in the research, is that when you really want to retain an adolescent, you have to have devout religious uh, parents who are intentional in conversations and strategic during the teenage years. 
in middle school, you have to have a five to one ratio of non-supportive, or, or excuse me, of supportive non-parental adults. And you have to have uh, a prayer, scripture, and attendance uh, embedded in these adolescents. And then kids who have less doubts actually have stronger faith. And so I get worried, Blake, about how the church is able to answer doubts. Really? Uh... That's surprising to me because one of the things we kind of do is we answer doubts about people, you know, uh, you know, but some of the things that they're asking is how can a good God who is all powerful allow so much evil and suffering? How do we know the Bible is true? Doesn't science contradict the Bible? D didn't we evolve? Wasn't Constantine one who decided what was in the Bible? And so these are questions that even out in my own personal experience, people ask me all the time. And it's like, I can easily have an answer for them. Um, so tell me, how does this play in about them having less doubts and us answering? Well, number one, what parents and students, pastors and church leaders need to understand is that doubts are vapors. They're quiet, unasked questions. Uh, the research suggests that the average kid regardless of age, middle school, high school, college age, the average student in a church right now is having doubts about how can a good God allow evil and suffering. My 12-year-old came up to me the other day and said, Dad, I have a question for you. And I said, yes. And he, I said, ask me anything, Aiden. And he said, if God is all powerful, why is there so much meanness, mean people in the world? Why doesn't he do something about these mean people? That's a 12-year-old asking, or excuse me, an 11-year-old. Uh, an 11-year-old asking me that. He'll be 12 in a, a week. That's an 11-year-old, a couple of weeks, uh, asking me that. And so we have to realize that the questions, these questions like, how do I know I can trust the Bible? Hasn't science disproven the Bible? Hasn't archaeologists made a full of the Bible? That's what German higher criticism says. All of those things are no, 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 and no with an exclamation mark. And we're going to get into it, uh, audience, in the next couple of weeks. We're really going to take the uh, um, take it to the woodshed. Has the Bible been proven by archaeologists to be a lie? Has the Bible been proven to be a lie according to science? Now, the Bible doesn't claim to be a scientific book, Blake, but it just simply says, and he made the stars also. But it is not incorrect because when you even look at the Big Bang Theory, the first thing that came out of the Big Bang Theory was light. And what's the first thing that we know that the Bible says when the earth began? It just said, and then God spoke, and then there was light. And so the Bible is actually um, uh, answers a lot of these questions. Um, uh, one of the Achilles heel, the number one problem is if there's a good God, why is there evil and suffering? So these doubts, Blake, are are not asked. And so church leaders, parents, and students that want to be proactive with their faith, they need to be proactive in such a way that they bring up the questions in Sunday school, that they actually have literature in the Sunday school departments that are going to be, that's developed. And not all, most literature doesn't do this. There's several literature. You've got AIG out of Florence, Kentucky, uh, Answers in Genesis, and you've got Lifeway. In Lifeway, both of them have now got a developed curriculum that actually has an apologetic slant to it. And one of the things that we know, Blake, is that kids are having lots of doubts because we're teaching the Bible as a story rather than a historical fact. Many preachers were trained under German higher criticism, which says, 
Adam and Eve were allegorical. They were just emblems, symbols of moral lessons. Well, if that's true, Blake, then we're in trouble because Jesus is tied to the genealogy of Adam. Wow. And, you know, it's fascinating that kids, even as young as your son, 11, have... uh, are asking these questions because most of these questions don't have simple answers to them, you know? And so I can remember helping out in uh, the middle school and they were asking, well, where does God come from? And how do we know that there, there is a God? And I was, I remember thinking, well, it's because we have time, space and matter. You know, that's the reason we even know that God exists because God, in order for us to have those things, they had to have been created because we just can't come upon time and space and matter by ourselves. So there had to be something outside of those things to influence those things. And I remember trying to think, well, how can I get this to the point the way they will understand this, you know? And, uh, and so it, it's incredible that they, they ask these questions, you know? And that's what this podcast is about. This podcast is about educating and preparing pastors, church leaders, Sunday school teachers, parents, and students They want to be proactive with their faith about the answers. And the answer to that right there, Stephen Hawkins, the most revered scientist in the world, before he died, Blake actually said, I now know what happened before the Big Bang. The Big Bang took place within three minutes. But the the Achilles heel of science was what happened before the Big Bang. Well, Stephen Hawkins said, I figured it out. He said there was no time. And so what we need to realize as we teach and prepare the church of Jesus Christ is that there are answers to, well, where did God start? Why does God not have a beginning? Uh, uh, Even when you look at time and something as simple as 1 John 4 and 8, God is light. Or God is love, excuse me. Uh, And then you look at what John says about in John 1 and 1, God is light. And, and light and time. I mean, you can get really deep with all that stuff and we're going to begin training people on that in the future. But the, the problem is, or the truth is that there are answers to the questions students are asking. And when they ask questions about the Bible, many pastors were trained under German higher criticism and they believe that the Bible is allegorical and that these people are not real people. And what we've got to begin to do intentionally in the church through our sermons and Sunday school and youth groups and I sometimes worry about what the world are we preaching? We need to be preaching some depth because number one, this is the biggest knowledge-based generation in the history of America. Absolutely. You know, when we were doing attrition the last couple of weeks, they even talked about how uh, the people who had left the church found the church was not stimulating their intellectualism. And so we have to be able to answer these questions so that we can have an intellectual conversation with our students, with our children, so that they can understand that, hey, this can actually stimulate my mind and I don't have to actually go to uh, a college, so to speak, and hear a professor that completely goes against everything I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, or teach your kids to be able to defend themselves against yeah, a college professor. Absolutely. And stimulating the mind is extremely important. But you have to, and one of the things I want everybody to understand about this research is you've got to stimulate the heart first. As a matter of fact, that leads to the next one. We know that highly devoted adolescents have multiple religious experiences. And one of the things that I want our fundamentalist uh, evangelicals, which seems like I'm cursing in the 21st century by saying those <laughs> words, 
uh, what I want are conservative or what I want those that believe that the Bible is the word of God. For those that believe there is a God, Blake, what I want them to know, and we'll pick up on this at the next session, I want them to know that it's religious experiences that seals faith. According to Dr. Newberg uh, from the University of Pennsylvania's Medical School, who's a neurologist, he's written several books like on neurotheology, and he has proven that the brain actually works together in religious experiences. That we used to think that you want to be rational in your thinking, and that you want to keep your rationality away from uh, emotionalism. That's kind right. of Descartes, I think, therefore I am. Right. So what we want everyone to know is that we now know, Blake, that's a lie. Mm -hmm. We now know that's not true because it is impossible neurologically to think without emotions because the amygdala and the other parts of the regions of the brain are actually tied to the limbic system which is where emotions are centered. So rational, logical thinking is tied to emotions. And even we've known that. the church, It's time for the church to know that. So Blake, close us out, and we'll see you guys next week. All right. Well, hey, listen, guys. I just want to hit the key points real fast. Uh, number one, uh, highly devoted religious parents. Number two, supportive non-parental adults. Uh, the importance of prayer and scripture reading and attendance and less doubts and multiple religious experiences is really what helps seal the faith in your child and in your students uh, and with it even in your own congregation. So listen, we thank you guys for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share, and have a great day, guys. Thanks for listening to the Lethal Faith Podcast, brought to you by the Never Before Project. To find out more about the Never Before Project or be a part of the discussion, visit our website at neverbefore.tv. You can also visit us on Facebook at the Never Before Project. Join us next week for another episode of Lethal Faith.